0: It's Father's Day, and it's 40 degrees outside, and we have an amazing guest who's come all the way from India to be with us today, which means I have an excuse to wear a kurta, which is like a t-shirt for me, and uh, and boy, we've been preaching on this series about joy, and uh, there are moments when it feels like it's just welling up in you, and this has been one of those days already. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to be part of a, of a family, a community, where joys can be shared, where sorrows can be redeemed, where confidences can be trusted, and God gets to be a part of all of it. You know, when we when we rejoice together, we're actually doing so in a way that's both faithful to, to scripture, but obedient to a specific command that's embedded in scripture. In fact, it's a familiar command. It, it comes with great frequency, particularly in the little book that we've been studying over the past five weeks. The book of Philippians has that constant refrain, and it's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's an imperative. Rejoice. The, the key text, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice, in case you missed it the first time. Rejoice. Uh, When I was growing up, because it's been 30 years now since Bobby McFerrin, or not Bobby McFerrin, uh, who wrote Don't Worry, Be Happy? It was Bobby McFerrin, right? You remember the words of that? (laughs) Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note in the right key. Don't worry, be happy. Happy. Yeah. And like an earworm, it kind of stuck in there for a whole generation and it took us a decade to get rid of it. And now it's back in there again. So I'm just going to let you deal with that. But as we think about joy and we think about some of the scriptures, wise teaching, we've also been dealing with some of the obstacles the barriers and the hurdles that prevent us from experiencing what scripture says is not only just the uh the the command and the and the benefit the the outcome of a life lived in Christ but uh, but it's also this persistent state of well-being what are the barriers that get in the way of it what are the impediments and last week we talked about a major one you remember we talked about all those things that are back here all the stuff in the past. You might remember the circle of bad, my bad, your bad, and then there's stuff that's just bad. And about how when we reach back there and carry that stuff forward with it, dragging it into each new moment of each new day, it makes it almost impossible to experience the kind of spontaneous, refreshing waves of joy that God has for us. And it's not that we ignore it or we don't learn from it. Remember we said that the past informs us But the past can't be allowed to deform us. Somehow, it has to be brought forward in such a way that God can redeem it, that God can cleanse it, that it's not the last word in our life, that in fact God gets to speak the next word in our lives. This morning we're going to talk about another barrier, and if you haven't guessed it already, it's the one embedded in that little tune, Don't Worry. For how many people is worry, anxiety, A constant barrier to experiencing the kind of spontaneous joy that is meant to leak into and out of our lives. How many of you struggle with anxiety? Uh, I... I joked about it in the first service because I thought maybe it's a particularly modern North American phenomenon. But Dr. Sanita tells me it's also epidemic in India. And if we did a survey, we could probably find it might be something of a global phenomenon. And we know it's not just a modern one because Scripture deals quite specifically with the subject of worry. For as long as I can remember, I have been, I've been prone to worry. As a kid, I worried about what my parents... Thought about me. I worried a lot about school, particularly about my grades. I I worried a lot, and probably still do, about what other people thought of me. When I got to high school, I started worrying about dates. I didn't actually go on any dates. I just I just worried about them. When I got to college, I I started to worry a lot about my future. Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? When I got out of college, I start started worrying about places in. In the world, when I was single, I worried about being single. Am I going to find the right person? And I did. And then you're married, and and then you, you don't worry anymore, ever again. <laughs> <laughs> when you do find that person, though, I mean, I still remember thinking, if I ever get married, it's going to be the end of all of it. And and boy, I did, And and I get to wake up and and be in the presence of, I think, one of the most beautiful, godly people in all the world. And in about 27 minutes, Karina, we're going to escape out the back door because our family have planned a celebration for us. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. (laughs) And it's been spectacular, and I would love to tell you it's been without worry. (laughs) But you know that's not the case. If joy is a pervasive sense of well-being, it is well in my soul, then worry is really the opposite that there's something that's not right, it's it's not well. We're We're on the verge of tipping off a cliff, something is about to fall apart, something is winding down, something is disintegrating, there's something wrong. And more and more we're finding that people live, and this is inside the church and outside, instead of living with this pervasive sense that all is well, they live with this nagging sense that there's something wrong. And they carry it with them through their days. What if I made the wrong choice? What if I picked the wrong job? What if I lose my job? What if I marry the wrong person? What if I'm already married to the wrong person? What, what if I'm not attractive enough? Or I'm not well enough? Or I haven't saved enough? Or I'm just not secure enough? Worry happens when our thoughts move from the problem, because there are problems in life, to all kinds of irrational fears about the problem. So we're not talking specifically about adversity. Surely adversity will come in life. We're talking about how we think around adversity. A writer named James Bryan Smith explains the difference. Listen to what he says. He says, despite their similarity, worry is not the same thing as being cautious or careful. We should be concerned about many things. Locking doors, managing our money well, driving carefully on slippery roads, that's not the same thing as worry. Worry is what we do after we have planned and prepared and acted properly. Worry, listen to this. Worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Preacher, biblical scholar as well, man named Thomas Kepler, uh, was dealing with a woman in his congregation and, and and he wrote about her she she was so plagued by by anxiety worry had just become this crippling force in her life that as an exercise in trying to bring some other thoughts into that that sphere that that arena of her life he had her keep a worry journal every time one of those one of those self-destructive negative anxious thoughts would appear she would write it down And she kept the journal persistently, and she did it over a period of four weeks. At the end of four weeks, they sat down, they went all the way through the journal, hundreds and hundreds of entries. And what they found was really interesting, because they began to to analyze it. Forty percent of all of her concerns were about things that could never actually happen. It's irrational. Thirty percent of her concerns were about things that had already happened. They're done with. They're in the past. So 70 percent was stuff that wasn't real and in the present. 12% of her concerns were about criticisms from others, and when they looked at those, they realized that said more about them than it did about her. And 10% of her concerns were about her health, which, guess what, got a lot worse because she's worrying all the time. Of what remained, only about 8%, were about situations over which she could possibly do anything at all. 92% of the time that she spent worrying were about things that, well, she couldn't do anything. She couldn't change a thing. Anybody relate to that? Unless we think it's a modern problem, listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 6, 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add even a single day to your life? Of course, the answer is no, but You sure can take days away. You can take away today because instead of enjoying what today has to offer, your mind spins out out of control with worry about what might happen. You can take away tomorrow because instead of leaning into the future and trusting God, you just get obsessed with everything that could potentially go wrong. In fact, clinically, medically, right, Dr. Sunita, you could shorten your lifespan. Stress and anxiety does that to us because it unleashes all of these stress-related illnesses into our life that would cut short our days. Worry can't add a single hour or a single day, but it can take them away. I realize for, for some of us, it, it's a struggle. wading our way through this topic, it's hard to hear. It, it's hard for me to speak about because, well, it's, it's a personal struggle. We know clinically that this is, in part, the way that our brains are wired. Uh, there is a gene that they have identified that predisposes some people to worry. And some of you are going to get worried that you have the gene, so, but don't worry. Facing up to all of that, it takes, it takes fortitude. It takes courage. It, it takes courage to step out and admit that this is an area of struggle. So let me go first. I struggle with worry. I come by it honestly. My mom is a world champion worrier. She worries persistently. She worries recreationally. She worries as a sign of love for people. She's elevated worry to a spiritual gift, and and she has it in droves. And there's a part of me that, as we all are, gets shaped in our parents' image. Real transformation, this is important, is not often just about trying to do better. It's about inner renewal. Scripture calls it the renewing of our minds. But confronting what's going on in here. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Many of you will know this scripture from Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world... Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. If we're going to experience real joy, that's going to be the steady undercurrent of our lives. We're going to have to confront the way that worry erodes the confidence that God is at work in us. We need to confront not just our circumstances, but our thinking about our circumstances Which brings us to, I think, some of the most practical words that have ever been written about anxiety. They're found in the Bible. They're found in that little book of Philippians we've been studying. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, turn them on, open them up. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses starting in verse 4. Listen to what Paul says. Starts with that that theme again, that resonant reminder. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. The heart of that text is a very simple instruction don't worry. Be anxious about nothing it says. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your finances. Don't worry about your RSPS. Don't worry about your physical appearance. Don't worry about being single. Don't worry if you're married. About your health, about your kids. Don't worry. And right now you're thinking, because I'm thinking it, that's impossible. <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be practical. This is going to be a practical message, Pastor. That's impossible. Let's take a stab at it, though. Let's try and unpack it a little bit. Worry is one of those things that you don't stop just by trying harder. It's kind of like those who struggle with insomnia, right? You ever gone to somebody who struggles with sleep and suggested you just try harder? Yeah, And then you start thinking about wanting to sleep and the fact that you're not sleeping. And it's a cycle and just spins downward until you absolutely, the last thing in the world you could do is is sleep because all you're thinking about is the fact that you can't sleep. Worry can be like that. So if if you don't beat it just by trying harder, what's the strategy? And we're going to lift out in this text three very practical ways that you can confront worry. Uh, I mentioned the nine o'clock service. Isn't it great the way in Scripture there's always... Three things, so it just lines up nicely with the pastor's sermon? No, I'm just... All right, but here they are. They're in your notes. Here's the first one, and this one is is really the critical launching point. God is near. Remember that. Before Paul ever says a thing about worry, don't, don't be anxious, he begins with that simple, profound declaration. You see it there? God is near. The command not to worry is grounded in the reality of, that you are not alone, it's not on you, that there's somebody in your life who's saying, you got this, and it's not just your earthly father, it's your heavenly father. And I'm convinced more and more that the quality of your spiritual life can be accurately predicted by the way that you answer this one question. And it's not a doctrinal question or a deep theological question, it's just this, do you live as if God is nearby Or far away. I'm not asking whether you believe that God can be close to you. Doctrine of imminence. I'm asking whether you live and choose and act and conduct yourself. As if you're aware of the fact that right there. Right with you. Is the Lord of the universe maker of heaven and earth. The great master craftsman who fashioned your own soul. Right there. Right with you. God is near. And this God who's near is not anxious about the things that you're anxious about. The God is not up there somehow wringing his hands in heaven, worried about the problem that you're having at work or with your kids, not anxious about your financial situation. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. He cares so much. But here's the good news. He's not worried. He's near. He's with you. But he's he's not dealing with a deep sense of inadequacy. Oh my goodness, I didn't see that one coming on. Lost their job. Whatever will we do? <laughs> the more we live with the awareness of God's presence, the more we begin to experience peace in our minds and our bodies. It's what Paul calls gentleness. You see there in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. In the language of, of the Bible, the language that Paul is speaking and writing, it's a very unique word. And what it what it means is a sense of calm in the presence of trouble. Gentle waters, can you imagine that? Gentle waters, just calm and placid. It, it means calm in the presence of trouble or or it means kindness in the face of adversity, in the presence of unkind people you ever been stuck in the express checkout at the grocery store. It says it there clearly, eight items or less. And there in front of you is the one guy who's got the cart packed right up to the edges. Yes, but you're but you're a good Christian, so you're not going to say anything about that. But it begins to well up inside, you feel it. And inside your cap 46, 47, 48, 40, and at one point you realize you're counting out loud. And you start thinking, I can't stand this guy. Doesn't he know that I'm in a hurry? Nobody likes this guy. Look at the Jesus wouldn't even like this guy if he were in the lineup. (laughs) It's about that time the cashier looks up and says, hey, aren't you the pastor at that church? Yeah. Of course, this is a hypothetical scenario, right? didn't happen down at No Frills right there at Silver Birch. Here's what happens when worry and anxiety get a foothold in our life. Not only is, is gentleness not evident to anyone else, I become totally preoccupied with myself. That's what worry does. Uh, it becomes about me. How, how am I doing? What are people thinking about me? How will my life possibly go on in the face of this? When I was in line at the store, I wasn't aware that God was near. I wasn't thinking about God at all. And it showed. It, it always shows. Paul says when we're aware of God's presence, we experience the state of joy, gentleness, the freedom from worry and gratitude and peace. Why? Because God is near. There's a the second strategy. And it builds on the first. Remember that. A God who is near is a God that you can talk to. Paul invites us to do just that. Verse 6 there in chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, talk to God. Present your requests to God. It's interesting, you know, when a person is worrying, there tends to be an awful lot of self-talk. What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? In a way, worry is fed by that cycle of self-talk, and it tends to spiral downward. And the way to interrupt the cycle is to talk to somebody else. Why not talk to the one who's near? Instead of saying, Richard, how are you possibly going to get through this? Why not start with God? God, you're right here. You're in this. You're in this with me. Paul tells us to do this every once in a while. Except that that's not what scripture says, right? It says in every situation. When you're in an argument with your spouse, ask God for help. When you're trying to help out your kids and it's it's not going well, or kids, when you're trying to raise your parents and they're just not learning properly, time out to ask God for help. When you're unsure about how you're going to pay your bills, ask God for help. When you're trying to get that first date, ask God for help. When you're trying to get out of that first date, ask God for help then too. In the book of James, we read chapter 4, verse 2, you don't have, why? Because you do not ask. One of the simplest ways to confront worry is to ask God for help in any situation, no matter what. Can I suggest this then? At some point during the course of the week, in the next few days, in that moment when you feel like worry is swelling up in your body, your heart is racing, your forehead starts to beat up with sweat, thoughts are running through your mind, don't let it go unchecked. Instead, declare a timeout and ask God for help. God, I need you in this situation. I'm going to trust that you're here. And that awareness of your presence, that alone is going to be enough. Be honest. I mean, name exactly what it is you're feeling. Be specific. Be direct about it. But do it right there in the moment. And here's the third suggestion. Paul says, when you do this, do it with thanksgiving. Well, that's an odd instruction, isn't it? But you see, in every situation, there is something for which we can be thankful this undercurrent of gratitude can pull you through even the most dire of situations. We mentioned earlier, Dr. Sunita, that this is a lesson that we learned and saw mat- modeled so profoundly in Quechua in Uttar Pradesh in North India. When we saw people with the the most incredible of obstacles, underfunding that would see most of our institutions close, operating on a budget that is an absolute shoestring and yet servicing needs in the climate of scarcity that that are almost beyond our ability to to count and believe and in the middle of all of that god's faithful servants those those few heroic pioneer missionaries and and doctors and nurses at these little wee rural hospitals gathering together faithfully for worship every day before they went to clinic to express their gratitude to God. Somehow, gratitude became the steady source of current and currency, both the voltage and the resource necessary. To fuel their ministry, gratitude is a powerful antidote to worry because the goal with gratitude is not that your circumstances instantly change or get better. The goal is to say, even in these circumstances, even even when it's hard, there's reason for gratitude. Paul calls it the peace that passes understanding. As if he knew that people were going to wrestle with this. So that makes no sense. Of course it makes no sense. It's the peace that passes understanding. It's it's the gift of God to know that you can live at peace even when life is uncertain and live in gratitude even when things are dire. How do you do that? Here's part of Paul's answer. Think great thoughts. Think great thoughts. Have a look at verse 8. Just beautiful stream of, uh, of thoughts. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, and whatever's noble, and whatever's right, and whatever's pure and lovely and admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about that stuff. What you think about matters. The images you see, the films you watch, what you look at online, the music you listen to. Dallas Willard wrote about this. He said that the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what it is that our minds will dwell upon. And at the end of the day, taking on worry isn't just a matter of trying harder not to worry. It's about displacing all of those thoughts with better thoughts. Your mind is always taking in ideas and images and feelings, and eventually those things will lead to action and attitude. Paul says, feed your mind with the right stuff. Think about stuff that's true. A great question in the face of anxiety is simply that. Is it true? I mean, is it rational? Can I trust it? Is it valid? Paul says, think about stuff that's noble and honorable and right and pure, It's one of the reasons why reading scripture is so beneficial and has been now for generation after generation, because it gets our minds to engage with things that are right and pure. Paul says, whatever is lovely, boy, in the the face of of anxiety and worry, can you allow your mind the chance to feast on beauty, To, to... Enjoy the rapturous gift of music or the or just the symphony of a sunrise or or the gift of of art. Just beauty. The handiwork of God through God's co creators, the artists who make it. Paul says, Whatever's admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Try it. Try it for a week. Maybe you'll find the results are significant, that your mood improves, your attitude is different, your patience goes up a little bit, and boy, the effects of worry are a little bit different. What you think, boy, it says an awful lot about who you are. And what you are is determined so much by what you think. Paul closes with what may be the most important thought of all. This is what he says right at the very end, verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. Here's what he means. At the end of the day, when darkness comes and anxiety takes hold, and your mind is racing, you can't make it stop, you're not alone. God is with you. Some of you are worried right now. You came here today, you're worried about your marriage, you're worried about a relationship. I don't know what lies ahead for you and I don't have the answers but I know this, you're not alone. Some of you are worried about family or about health issues, and and I don't know, and maybe you don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know this, you're not alone. You're in the middle of a situation, there are no easy answers, there's no clear way forward, and you feel like you're over your head, and I don't know the way out, but I know this, you are not alone. God is with you, and not just that. Bible promises not only is God... With you, he's for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Jesus right now is inviting you to step out of fear and worry into the gentleness of his presence and the assurance of salvation. And I, I want to provide just a little bit of room, just a few quiet moments to allow Jesus to do what he needs to do in your life. So Just before we invite the worship team to come back to the stage, I'm going to... Invites you just to find a comfortable posture. Um, this is a moment between, between you and God. God is near. He has been the whole time. It's not God who changes when God feels far away. It's, it's us. So God is near. With, with outstretched palms resting on your laps, we're just going gonna to allow to lift up into God's presence all of those things that have weighed us down. What is it that's that's got you consumed with worry? What is it that's keeping you from living into the reality of God's joy? And take just a few moments and present those things to the God of peace who is always with you. God, this isn't easy for us. Some of these are burdens we've carried for a long time, and it's hard to let them go. We're in control of our own lives. It all depends on us. We fail. It all fails. Hmm. Curious of thoughts that are less than noble and pure. Pure gracious and true, bring into our lives beauty and hope. In Christ, we pray for the transforming work that you can do in the renewing of our minds. As we push aside worry and all those troublesome thoughts put in their place, the constant therapeutic reminder that the God who made us and knows us better than anyone, who created us and designed us and loves us more than anyone, is always present, is always near, and worries for nothing. God, come wrap yourself around each person here. Relieve us of the burdens that we carry and into the space that they've occupied in our lives. Come take up residence. Holy Spirit, come and do your work, we pray in Christ's name, amen.